When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, welcome back to another episode of the Gap Down Backer podcast. Uh, today we have uh, Coach Dan Carroll, uh, the linebackers coach at UMass. Coach, how you doing? Good. How are you? I, I'm doing pretty good. Um, as, as I kind of said, you are, are currently the um, linebacker coach at UMass, second year there. But how did you end up at UMass? You want to kind of go over kind of your quick background on how you ended up there? Yeah, I'll try to give you the, the short version of the long story. Um, Born in West Virginia, grew up in Eastern Ohio, uh, you know, played at a, a small D2 school in West Virginia called West Liberty University. Um, you know, I got there, wasn't long after I got there, I realized I kind of wanted to be a coach. You know, I thought at the time the, the coolest job in the world would be the head coach of my former high school, Union Local High School. And, uh, you know, I go through a couple years at West Liberty and then I thought the coolest job in the world would be the head coach of West Liberty. And so I get a chance to go, um, you know, and, and get to some different schools and, and get some different opportunities. I got a strength intern job at South Carolina. I was there for a, a little while. Um, you know, Coach Steve Spurrier, staff, Joe Conley was head strength coach there. It was an awesome experience for me. Go back to West Liberty as a, a coach of linebackers there for a year. Got to Ohio State uh, as an intern working with the offensive line. Uh, left there to go to Kentucky as a GA. Left Kentucky to go to Houston as a GA. Got promoted to Houston. Was a full-time coach there for a couple years. Got to New Mexico as a full-time coach in Bob Davies last year. We got let go at the end of the, my first year there. Um, was in a fortunate situation. Did not need the best job in the world at that time. Was you know financially in a fortunate situation with some contract stuff. And um, so I, I wanted to take a job that was with some people I knew, some guys I trusted, and just be in a spot that I thought it was growing. And, um, you know, chance to work for head coach Walt Bell and, a guy I've known for about 10 years is the defense coordinator, Tommy Restivo, and uh, some other great guys on the staff and on our defensive staff. Um, you know, it was um, actually came here as an analyst and I got promoted kind of in the beginning of the first season, um, you know, to the linebackers coach. But it's, uh, it's been great. And that's, um, you know, it's a testament to the people we get to work with every day. But it's uh, it's been a great experience. And, um, you know, you'll eventually see a much improved UMass squad take the field. Um, hopefully that's sooner rather than later. But. I know that that is coming. So now, I, I, every every school does this a little differently. What does an analyst at UMass actually do? Yeah, so you know we had a couple on defense. Um, you know, for a while we had Coach Jim Reed, who's, a, who's an older guy in this profession, who's had a ton of experience, has a wealth of knowledge, and you know he was uh, incredible at. You know, he did not participate in season with us due to COVID, but he was incredible for the time he was with us at just kind of mentoring us as young coaches and, and teaching us things. Right. So he had kind of his role as an analyst in that, um, you know, my role, I work closely with the inside linebackers, um, cause there was only four full-time coaches on staff on defense. And typically it's five and five, but there was only four. So I helped as much as I could, you know, in that limited role as an analyst. Uh, so the defense coordinator, you know, 
could feel comfortable being in multiple spots. And then uh, we had another analyst, Jamie McClendon, and he does an incredible job of breakdown, thing like that, um, you know, game plans. Um, he's a triple option guru too, and we got a couple of those on our set on our schedule. So, you know, I think uh, every role for an analyst for the three that we had was a little bit different. Okay. Now, in, in, uh, before we get to linebacker and other defensive stuff, you also mentioned Bob Davy there, um, who spent time. Yeah. What What did you kind of learn and take away from your your time coaching with him and kind of some of the defensive stuff he, he he brought there? Yeah, I mean, you probably will not find many people as fortunate as I was to get to learn from somebody like Bob Davy on defense. Uh, the experience, I mean, he can go back and remember the plays he called in 1984, you know, <laughs> playing against Houston when he was the defense coordinator at Texas A&M and they were the wrecking crew defense. He can tell you about, you know, how they were warming up. And I mean, he, he just, from a mind standpoint and what he knows about the game and the things that he can recall over his experiences, uh, truly, truly incredible and truly a great experience you know, as a young coach, especially coaching linebackers. That's what he coached most of his career as defense coordinator and linebacker coach. You know, I think that, I think you learn from him and a guy like that. The only way you can remember those things as well as he could remember them, the only way you could have that type of a recall is just how present he is in the moment. You know, I, I don't think that you, you know, if your mind is in different places and you can't get focused on your work on a day-to-day -day basis, you would never have that type of recall and understanding of the game. So I think in a roundabout way, you, you really learn that, you know, being present at work and being present in, in every little conversation with every little detail. And, you know, it, it taught me a lot. Like I can remember things come to my mind, oh, maybe we could fit it this way or maybe we could cover it this way. And I'm like, I remember that from a story that Bob Davey told me about some other guy who told him a story. And it's like, <laughs> it's like seven degrees of separation, like the Kevin Bacon game, right? And, and but it, it, when you're present, when you're really present in the moments, you know, in office and in the conversations and, and at practice and in all the film review, you know, there's a lot you can learn in a short amount of time. So, you know, I would say just, just those things with him. And, and he had, I mean, obviously a million great stories, as you can imagine, when you coach for as long and at the highest levels that he did. But just a wealth of knowledge, too, you know. And then I kind of want to move on to linebackers now because, like, obviously, as me and him – me and Coach here, I've had, well, I've listened to Coach talk a little bit before, and I'm not really going to get to that. But um, in kind of doing more research on top of that, I mean, linebackers you've had or have been pretty successful overall. And, you, and from a statistical aspect, you, you, it looks as you develop them really well. What do you attribute to the kind of success and the development that you've been able to have at multiple stops with linebackers? I've been fortunate with the players first. I think that's a kind of stock answer maybe, but yeah. I do think that there is an element of you, you never, if you have bad players or guys that aren't committed and I say bad players, I don't necessarily mean by talent perspective because every guy that I've ever coached, that has been a good player has had a different level of talent. So it's come down to more their level of commitment, um, what their expectation themselves are and the standard that they're willing to meet. And I think as a coach, it's important to, to lay out those standards and to teach them why standards important. But at the same time, they're going to choose to meet you halfway or not. And, and, and I know as a coach, it's important that we try to inspire them and we try to reach them and we try to bring them toward our standard. But some guys will chase your standard. Some guys you will drag toward it. Right. So I, <laughs> I think that 
you know, I, I've been fortunate with some of those guys that, you know, have really chased the standard. You know, I can think of like um, out of linebacker New Mexico named Mo, Mo Vanicolo, a uh, Polynesian kid. And he had not played a whole lot. And, um, you know, the staff, when I got there, was not super high on him, you know, as you are not with a guy who's going into his senior year and has not played a lot generally that, you know, there's a reason for that. And, you know, I think he had got to the point in his career where he was just kind of fed up with, with, with things and just kind of sat down with me like the day I got there. And it's like, I'll do whatever I do, coaches, just tell me what to do. And, you know, went through a lot of things. He lost some weight, uh, all these, a lot of different things. And he ended up having a nice senior year, almost a hundred tackles and 12, 12 TFLs. And, you know, was a, was a heck of a strong performer for us in the, in the Mountain West. And I believe if, if it was a normal year and not COVID year, he would have probably ended up having a chance to, to play at the next level, to be quite honest. And, you know, I, I just think that was a guy who really wanted to meet a standard. He wanted to be told what the standard was and he wanted to meet it. They're not all going to be like that. And, and I think that it's important that you a, identify the guys that are and you, and you, you get them to the standard, but understand it's, it's also our job to, to drag the other ones along. And, I think, you know, in their development. And then the ones that want to meet the standard and are super talented, you know, they become Tyus Bowser or, you know, Landon Roberts or the guys that, you know, go play pro football for a long time. Okay. And then uh, I, what does a, a typical linebacker meeting look like for you? And has that, has that changed with each stop you've had? Or is that kind of just continue to just grow as you've gone? You know, I see a meeting – I see like a, a linear path to, to understanding a defense or a concept or, or whatever we're putting in, right? I, I think there's a, a pre-meeting element involved. So if we're going to install, you know, a blitz or a, a new coverage or, or whatever it is, whatever's going in in that meeting, I think there's an element of a pre-meeting. You know, what I mean by that is I am not letting a player walk into that meeting and have no clue what he's about to learn, okay? So whether I share something the day before on a Google Drive or – or an hour before I'm going to talk to them and say, Hey, all right, Hey, when you guys get here, come on, talk to me a little bit. We're going to talk about this real quick, but I think you have to have a pre-meeting before you have a meeting. So the guys come in there with the mindset that this is what we're about to do. Right. And then for me, the, it is, you know, utilize the meeting time must be maximized, organized, I'm, I'm always paranoid that my players would see something in that media and make me think I'm or, unorganized or unprepared or I couldn't handle, you know, whatever I'm supposed to be teaching because we demand so much of them. Like, you know, I feel like they're demanding of me. Like they need to be demanding that, that I use that 35 minutes or 45 minutes to, to the, the tops that I can. Right. Um, I think if you walked in our backer meetings, it's very different at times. You know, I had, and I talked about one guy I had in New Mexico, but I had another guy too. His name was Alex Hardy. He was a three-year starter. If you walked in those meetings between him and Mo, and, and even the younger guys that I had in there, like those meetings were loud. They were making calls like they were in the middle of the third quarter, you know, at Colorado State or whatever, right? And and that's how it went. Now, like here at UMass, I have a much younger, so it is not at that level yet, right? It, it needs to be by the time we get to you know get through spring practice and we start playing games, but it is not at that level yet. And that's what needs to change. So I think, you know, in the meeting time, you would see that. I think from a you know, tone perspective, I don't want, 
I want the guys to feel very obligated to be able to answer questions and answer them correctly in the meeting, but I don't want that to be so intense that they, they refuse to speak. Right. Yeah. You can also get it to the point where guys aren't comfortable enough to ask questions, right? You can't just turn into a, a get your ass rip session every time, right? But I do expect you to know the answers when I ask them at the same time. So there's a balance you have to strike there. And in, in the good meetings to me, when, when we really meet well and we have great meetings, the guys are trying to get more information, right? If they're just dullards and note takers and they're just jotting down every word you say and the tape's rolling, they're not trying to get information. If you know, like when you go into a staff room and you listen to the coaches speak, you know, the the linebacker coach is trying to get information. The safety coach is trying to get information. Everybody is trying to work back and understand what the coordinator expects of the defense. I want the players to try to understand what I expect them to do when the defense is called. And when we can get to that level, we're we're having pretty damn good meetings, in my opinion. And, um, you know, so I guess that's what I would say. And, you know, then the, the teaching progression, like the linear progression then spills into kind of the walkthroughs and indie drills. And, and yeah. Now, and kind of going into that, in terms of a drill purpose, do you do you try to show video of the drill? When you first start in new drills, do you try to show video of the drills in your meeting beforehand so they're aware of it? Do you share that at Google Drive ahead of time? How do you... It, or do you just yeah. wait, or do you like some coaches just wait till you on the field? That's the first time you teach it, and then they're supposed to remember it from there. Yeah, <laughs> I guess all of the above at times. I have to, if you have tape, it, it's always great to show it, especially if it takes some coordination. We have a lot of circuits that we run and circuits I've ran in the past, like takeaway circuits, yeah. tackling circuits. Those require like logistics. If it requires some logistics, I, I think that it's important. That, that you show it on the tape just so guys have it on them because time is finite for us, yeah. right? We, that clock's going to hit 22 periods and it's going to roll. So when time is finite, I, I hope that you, know, you have a chance to show some stuff, especially, like I said, if it takes some logistics. Um, I, I don't necessarily have to do that though. If the drills aren't that, I think that sometimes teaching them on the field is not the worst thing. And then just right now we're in a time uh, in college football where, you know, I get written into our week an hour to two hours a week. It just depends. Um, written into our allotted time uh, for the week. I get some time uh, to, to coach the guys and, and they kind of know the drills um, and when, where we're at. And, you know, I think one thing that's important and, and it's something that, you know, our, I've always believed in and a lot of the coaches I've believed in have in our defense coordinator, Tommy Restivo has done a great job of, of challenging us as a staff this off season, but, it's just to have a a plan from the time you get the guys in January or February or whenever you get them to the time the foot hits the ball for the first game. Like the drill work is not going to be the same as it runs through the year. And, and we got to, you know, focus on this, 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 and this, and, and make sure we kind of have a, a plan to move forward. And, you know, like right now I'm spending a, a good amount of time, whether it's me drilling the players or them drilling themselves on their own time, they, they do do a lot of that, but I'm spending a lot of more time on footwork and just movement patterns than I normally would because I have the time and yeah. we don't have helmets on, we don't have pads on. So like, I call this like the off season time. Like once spring practice hits, my indie will look a lot different than what it looks like right now. I'm not going to be shuffling back and forth between bags and stepping over bags. We're going to be doing a lot more football related stuff, but so they got to be able to carry over 
those drills and, and those movement patterns and, and take it into practice, you know, through spring practice. And then if, if we're doing a good job of it, the summer will look a little different. If we're not, then we'll regroup and, and we'll work that stuff again, you know, throughout the okay. summer. Now but it just has to be a plan for those different periods of time. Now you mentioned there that your, your drills kind of evolve or modify based off what you need throughout the year. But with that, do you have any base like EDDs that you rely on that are kind of fundamental for you and kind of what you've done? And I, I know you've kind of had a little bit of variety with backers. You've done some inside backer, outside backer stuff over your yeah. career. But is there anything that, that you kind of try to focus on that like either footwork or reads or anything daily that kind of is a must-have for you? I mean, I think footwork, key reads – block destruction you know drops to an extent like how, how you exit out and, and, the, and those things but I, I think that the key part is how how you handle those things as far as edds like i would not have a an ed i don't have one drill that i would do see i, I look at it like this there's off season there's spring ball okay after spring ball, and this is on a college schedule there's spring yeah. ball after spring ball I call it downtime, right? However long they got between the summer starts, then it's summer, then it's camp, then it's the season, right? So that's kind of the six, the six elements I look at when I'm planning drills out. And there's always going to be something that does footwork and always something that does key reads, but it probably doesn't look the same in any one of those things other than maybe off season and summer will kind of look a lot alike. I say that. So like right now we might be working footwork where I'm just standing in front of two guys and I'm stepping one direction and I'm, and I'm seeing their feet take them, you know, in that direction, exactly how I want it. Right. But when the season comes, when spring ball comes, all that footwork work is going to get done when we're doing key reads on, on barrels. Right. So I'm going to expect the exact same footwork with the exact same movement patterns, the exact same stance, but I don't have time to do slow it down with you where it's just me and you. Right. So, so like it will always be footwork and it's always going to be key reads and there's always going to be an element of block destruction. It's just, how are we getting it? And as the different periods are, we're going to get a little bit different, you know. Okay. No, that, that's that's great, Coach. Like, is it everybody's a little different. Some people have set drills, and I think other people kind of modify throughout the year. Um, and, and kind of continue with that, um, and kind of where I wanted to go is, from a, a practice standpoint, obviously you have your linebacker time, but how much, I, I mean, at least high school wise, linebackers are typically the one that get cut on time more than anybody because you gotta go do collab down here with D line, collab back here with DBs for seven on seven. Um, so how do you kind of manage that at the college level when you you're kind of the guy that that's needed? Okay, you're needed over here for inside run and run fits. You're needed over here for seven on seven, or my linebackers are split amongst these two parts of the field. How do you manage that and? make sure you're getting everything you need in it during that. Yeah. I mean, the number one thing is that, you know, the coordinator and the head coach are listening to you when they're playing at practices and just, Hey, this is stressful on me. Is there any way we can make this? And then, and there's areas where we can't, right. We can't make, you know, you can't make amends just for one position group all the time. And I think the efficiency of your indie time is important. So, having your drills laid out, having things just bang, 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 bang. So if I only get 15 minutes, I got to make it feel like 20. Um, and then I think that, you know, I try to get some time back. Like maybe we'll get out of the meeting five minutes early, something like that and get some time back. Um, but yeah, having guys in, in, in different places, 
it, it is it is what it is. I, I think the biggest struggle there and the biggest uh, issue that that I come across is is somebody coaching them on the other side. You know, typically I've not had a, a GA or an analyst very often that, that works with me. Probably not since Houston have I had somebody that really works with me that would know what my expectations are on every single snap. You know, so. Um, I mean, from an execution standpoint, if the coordinator is on the opposite field as me or he's down there, that's different. He knows that. But from a technique standpoint, it's usually just me. And, and I think that's where if they go to pass rush or something like that, I talk to the D-line coach, the outside linebackers coach, and my, hey, you know, boom, boom. These are the three, th- these are three coaching points. Keep, keep hammering them when they're, when they're, they're getting their rep and just making sure those guys understand what the expectation is. But yeah, it is a struggle. And I think this, the, the practice planning is probably the, the best answer there, to be honest. And I think we do a good job of that. That's why I probably don't have a better answer because the, the, the staff here has done a really good job of trying to maximize what we do on the field. Okay. And then uh, I, I got, before I get into some coverage and other defensive stuff, how do you – I mean, and you've mentioned it a little bit already, but how do you build that culture in that linebacker room? Obviously, you want them calling out in meetings, but overall, like, linebacker room culture, bond – and just overall unit cohesion. How do you how do you build that throughout the year? I think that I've tried to set a standard in our group, and you know keep bringing it back to the same things. I've tried to refine this, and it changes maybe yearly. But number one thing I expect is that you know the inside linebackers are the heartbeat of the defense. So everything we do has to have that in mind. And I always bring up the points like, you know, I always tell the guys, name me the best defenses that you've ever watched. You know, the guys are getting younger now, so they, I don't even know who the best defenses they've watched are. But, <laughs> like, you know, everybody goes to the Ravens. I was like, all right, great. That's perfect. Who who ran the Ravens? Right? I know Ed Reed might have been the best player. I don't know. I mean, you got, everybody can argue what they want, but who ran the Ravens deep? Yeah. Ray Lewis did. And I always talk about the Bears. Who ran the Bears deep? Mike Singletary did, right? Like, and I show them guys old videos of him. They didn't even know. I mean, they, they wonder why his helmet's all screwed up. And like, no, that's how they made it. There's a bar going straight through there. That's what they used to be. But, you know, I, like, I love, I pull out all those old videos of, of the backers just running the defense. And, and you think, too, when the game was more 12-21 in the box, 22 personnel, they made a lot of little adjustments on the front. You can always see that stuff. Like the backers moving a guy from a six to a seven, or, you know, throwing this guy from a five to a four eye because of the back set. So, they were running the defense. And, they, you know, I always say this, if that defense can function without you in there, we are not doing our job. So be the heartbeat of the defense is kind of our mantra. And, you know, the three ways that, that we do that, that, that I believe we should we do that is, you know, outwork every position group on the team. So we've got to show our value and our worth by outworking every group on the team. We run to the ball harder. You know, we stay extra. We do more after we have more energy, more intensity when we're doing it, and we try to hold the guys around us to the standard that we hold ourselves to. And if we don't do those things, we probably will not be the heartbeat of the defense. Okay? And then be a, I always say I want partners, not players. Right? Be a partner with the coaching staff. Be somebody who wants what we want. Right? The execution of the defense, want what we want. Be just like another coach sitting in our staff room. Right? Don't throw, throw away the things you think you want want what we want as a staff, yeah. want what we're expectation is. And when we get that, and then the last thing is act like a pro. And to me, the, the guys I, I know that, that have made it, made it to the NFL and made long careers, 
they're very focused and very committed on what they want. Yeah. Right? They eliminate distractions. They keep those distractions out of their lives. And it, it's a constant battle with young people of, of the different things that, that come into their life that, that, you know, all of a sudden I'm on a straight and narrow and then something happens and it's there. I get a girlfriend and it's here. It's like, <laughs> you, know, you have to constantly, constantly eliminate distractions and keep them distracted. Yeah. And the other thing about being a pro that's really important to me that I try to beat into our guys, and I don't try to get on soapbox, but um, deliberate practice right? is really knowing what we're going to do when we get out there. What, what skill sets are we working? What coverages are we doing? Like being very deliberate in the reps that we get at practice as opposed to just kind of, I, I feel like there's a lot of times I look around and guys just go through the motions and cannot tell me why they did something. It's even worse when they did something really well. You're like, that was awesome. You know what you just did? nope I think no so like deliberate practice is extremely important to me and I think those things right there I work everybody on the team uh, be partners not players and, and, and be a pro focused committed and practice deliberately I think if we do those things that that's kind of builds a culture of, okay. of toughness and then you know the overall defensive culture uh, is usually driven by the coordinator and just kind of yeah do my job to enhance uh, what they decide is, is kind of our mantra and our, our standards. Now, now you've been, like, like we said, a kind of multitude of places. Um, ha, has that caught, created a, a defensive philosophy for you in terms of fronts and coverages from a personal preference standpoint of what you might like to do as you get, get farther and along in your career? Yeah. I would say I lean toward an odd front defense uh, because it gives you a little bit more. You know, we're generally four down here, yeah. so it's a little bit different. We were in New Mexico. We were like the three high Iowa State look or four down cover three. So it was like you were going to get one of those two <laughs> looks and we were going to stem to it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like old school defense, the most new school defense you could ever see and try to do this with them, right? And, and it actually – was a nice little package. I go back and I watch some of our games, just pulling technique clips and stuff out. I'm like, man, we, we actually had some good stuff. But I think from a coverage standpoint, I think in today's game, I would love to close the post every single snap. Okay. The problem is you, you don't stop the run as well, right? You're, yeah. you're playing with one less guy, right? So, you know, I look at it in terms of fits. Um, and we talk about this, you know, here is kind of something that I – kind of developed it in New Mexico as an easy way to try to teach run fits to players. And, you know, we look at, we talk about plus fits, right? If you're on a plus run fit, it means you have a support player on each side. You're probably in a split safety defense, yeah. right? You play in quarters, you got, you got a nickel on one side, you got a boundary safety, right? You got a support player on each side of the box, secondary support player, right? You go to an even fit. Now the nickel slid outside of two, he's not in the fit anymore, but you still got the boundary safety. So now we're even. Right, we got three guys in the fit. We got yeah. two backers, now the batter safety. And then you go to like something like on third down, maybe go to like a two man, now you're in a minus fit, right? All you got is the two inside linebackers. So to, to stay in a plus fit, you know, that's how you're gonna stop the run. You stop the run split safety defense, in my opinion. And right? as, as long as you're counting guys, right? If you're playing cloud in the boundary and not counting the safety or the corner, well, now you might as well be in post defense, in my opinion, or you're just doubling. You're in you're okay. you're in bracket coverage on the X. That's fine. And, and there's a lot of need for that right there's yeah. obviously a lot of need for that I've, I've been beat on the seven on a five-step glance on the backside more than anybody ever has so there's need for that but if you are in split safety defense to me if i know they're going to run the football i want to be in some form of split safety defense so i got a support player on each side the backers can run they can spill the ball out everything's 
scrape, spill, get the ball on a perimeter, right? Because we got overhangs on both sides. But what does that also do? It also gives the quarterbacks time. You know, they can just zip, zip in the glances, zip in the post balls. It gives the easiest throw in the middle of the field is wide open. Yeah. So I don't like being in that if they might throw it. <laughs> I would love to have a guy standing in the post, whether we're in 3D, which I'm a big fan of, very different variations of 3D, or, you know, whether we play man, whatever it is, right? But that's the – to me, that is the, the biggest struggle is when can you close the post? Because the quarterbacks are too good. They make too good of throws. They take chunks down the field, and, and it just – sometimes it looks so damn easy in split safety that, that it's just – yeah. Gotcha. But you got to stop the run too. And I think stopping the run is still, even in today's game, the way the ball gets spit around the field, still the most important thing is if you can stop the run and make them, you know, somewhat one dimensional and you can get them into second and longs and third and longs, and then you can get some sub package on the field on third down and really get after people. So it's still extremely important to me to stop the run. But I, it, to me, the struggle is I don't know if there is a coverage necessarily, but to say that. You know, you can have the ability to close the post when you're going to think they're going to throw the ball and ability to play split safety defense with a fitter on each side to, uh, you know, when you think they're going to run it or might run it. Now, now, kind of going into that a little deeper is obviously there's two, I mean, drastic is probably a bad word, but two, two different pass concepts there in terms of a too high or a split field coverage look and, and a, uh, I'm locking down the post, probably with some cover three or if you're really greedy, man free. Um, how does that affect your, for you linebacker-wise in teaching in terms of drops and coverage? Because every, when everybody talks about variety of coverages, everybody focuses obviously on what that does to the corners and what that does to the safeties. But I don't think people talk too much, okay, with, all, with these different coverage packages we have, how that affects our linebackers in terms of not only coverage but fits. Yeah, I, I think – I think I've tried at times and when with the influence of, you know, like Bob Davey and, and now like Coach Recibo and, and Coach Jordan Peterson, who's our DC in New Mexico. Uh, I think I've tried to synthesize kind of how those fits work. You know, if we're in a plus fit, right? We're in some type of quarters or core quarter or half or whatever it is, right? I teach those inside backers there what we call fill players. And they're inside out on the ball no matter what. If it's fast flow to them, straight tight, spill the ball, backside guy can run, it's all good. You got a force player outside you and a backside force player to play the comeback. So no matter what that coverage is, all they need to know is it plus fit or even fit or minus fit. And generally they know if I say, hey, it's quarters, hey, it's split safety, hey, they're out, great, plus fit. I know how to fit all the runs now, okay? I know yeah. exactly what to do on all the runs. And I try to only teach two flows. I try to only teach direct and fast. So it's either the ball's coming right at me or the ball is going on the perimeter. Right. And if it's going on the perimeter, straight spill, run, that's what it is. Right. And then if it's an even fit, now we're single gap space, like cover three. They run a direct run in cover three. It should look like it looked like in, you know, in Bob Davies' 1996 tapes in Notre Dame, <laughs> and the should be going bang. Right. Yeah. Right? That's what it should look like. It's even fit or single gap space. Everybody got one gap. That ball's coming downhill. I'm coming downhill. Let's get bloody in the gap. Let's go. Yeah. And then now there, there's only one field player if they pick up and pull somebody. Right. So we got to know who that is. Right. So if it's the will, if it's a weak rotation three and now it's the wills, the fill player. Now the ball getting spit out toward the mic. Mike got to box it back. Will got to run inside out on the ball and then the safety got to be the comeback player. Right. We have one less player. So now one of the backers is the is the force player. So, you know, it's, it's very lever spill leverish. If, if you're familiar with 
you know, that, that, those terms, right? Okay. That's kind of how we coach the backers on that. So, you know, it might be strong rotation and now the Mike's the fill player, the Will's the force player. They run counter the boundary, Will's got to force it, Mike's got to run inside out. The buzz safety's got to be the uh, cutback player. Okay. And then if you're in something like that and they get out to the 10P look, now let's say you're cover three and they're in doubles, like 10 personnel, there's, there's nobody to help you, right? Both of the down guys, they have responsible for two of the flats, so they can't help you. So now it's a minus fit. So if you get into those, you know, those 10P GT counters, like uh, Oklahoma does a lot, that kind of thing, like now minus fit is we're both the force players. Mike and Will are the force players. Keep the ball between you. You got to box the ball back to each other. Okay. So, you know, plus fit, even fit to a minus fit. I think from a run fit perspective on what coverage does, that is a very simplistic way to teach it. Yeah. And it helps the guys and you can even turn, you know, at times you can turn a plus fit into an even fit. Like, Hey, I know we're in quarters here, but we're going to now bracket him. We don't have a support player to that side. Mike turns into a force. Will turns into a fill. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. so you can work it that way. I think from a coverage standpoint, you know, you get into a lot of these situations. Like it doesn't change a ton for us. Like we're generally working hook zones. Right. Yeah. We just have to know which hook zones to work and who to work off of. Uh, you might end up in a like quarter flat situation with the with the will linebacker, you know, to a to a tight end flanker side into the boundary, something like that, where he's got to take two to the flat instead of really work a hook zone. But the mic is generally for us in any split safety working a hook zone. And then when we get to post, we're either both hook zones or we're in man off the back. So yeah. I think, you know, you're teaching exit angles, you're teaching techniques. You're teaching how, where the hook zones are, how to get to them. If I'm the mic and the ball's on the hash, and I'm to the big field, like my drop is way different than the will. Like for a cover three, the will backpedal straight down the hash. The mic's got to punch out, get get width fast, right? Get, get to the hook zone of the field. So you're just teaching those exit angles from the strong hook player, from the weak hook player, and then how to set up on a quarterback, how to break on the ball. And, and you know, and then if you're the three hook player, like in a quarters concept, you know, making sure you understand three goes that way, then they bring one back and then they bring one back. And then, you know, you got to end up in that hook zone of three. So I think you're always working the hook zones for the most part. And you just got to kind of coach the guys through where and when. Okay. Uh, that's, that's perfect coach. And, and then before we start wrapping up, I, I, I want to talk some prep and some off season stuff with you real quick. Um, obviously you guys face a, a variety of offenses in your four games this year. Yeah, <laughs> and we talked a little bit about that before we came on. Obviously, started yeah. with the gun triple with um, Georgia Southern there. Um, but how 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 do you, especially in, in a weird year like this, how do you prepare for the variety of offenses you see nowadays, especially on the schedule you guys play, um, where it's it's not necessarily the set same set of teams every year. Yeah, yeah. When you're not in the league, you don't really develop that you know knowledge year to year like you know as houston i got to play smu four times i got to play navy with the same coach four times like you start to develop a little bit of like you know you just understand some things going into the game just some things just understood so i think you're just very deliberate in the in the staff room about okay what skills do we need to do to win the game what skills do we need to have on defense to play a team that's going to be all 12 personnel Okay, we got to grease up some bigger backers, right? We got to, you know, play with uh, a Sam instead of a nickel. So how are we going to do that? Like, and I think those skills 
know, maybe not necessarily all the calls and maybe not necessarily putting the, the plays in over the summer or during spring ball that you're going to see, but, but just the skills of, okay, how does, okay, we call this blitz and the Sam's in the game and not the nickel. Well, how does he run the blitz? Does he run it the same? Right. Yeah. Well, how do we do this thing with a, you know, a 250 pound Sam as opposed to a 190 pound nickel. So I think those type of skills and just kind of understanding how we're going to adjust the three by one with the Sam, as opposed to a nickel, we're going to run the same adjustments, like all those different things. And over the summer, spending time on that. And when it comes to the option football, which, you know, we'll, we'll see our share. I mean, we have coastal this year and we have uh, we'll play army probably every year. I mean, as we're an independent, they're an independent. We kind of have our own little league. It's just not enough people <laughs> to have an actual league, but it, you know, us and Liberty and army and New Mexico yeah. state, we you know, kind of all get after each other, but um, I just think that, you know, you have to, you have to make the option as simple as you can for the players. I mean, it's gotta be A or B. Everything's gotta be A or B. If there's too many C's, you're gonna you're gonna see the ball down the field, right? Yeah. So there's got to be a lot of A and B's, and I think refining those rules. I think the people that have the hardest time with it probably have the least defined rules. And when you do that, because that's all they are is rules, right? They are rules. If this guy's lined up here, I release in here and block him. If he's lined up here, I release here and block him. Right? So so we have to have very simple simplistic rules, and we got to start coaching those things, you know, in spring practice and over the summer, but. Yeah, you got to identify the things, situation you're going to be put in, and whether it's option, whether it's pole personnel, wing sets, those type of things. Maybe your offense doesn't give you that. Maybe they do. But, you know, we have to identify those things and make sure that you know, we're developing the skills, you know, not necessarily the calls or understanding of the calls, but the skills that we're going to need to play against those things. Um, and then kind of, I mean, every staff's a little different on who does what when they're scouting somebody. What is – what do you and, and obviously everybody's got the role you need to do this this week you need to look at this but from a personal standpoint what are things you prioritize or like to look at each week for the opponent you're playing and how much does that change week to week yeah i think the number one thing i look at you know i'm going to look at backfield sets and run tendencies on those backfield sets i know that the faster i can get the backers going toward the run the right place the right time the, the better we're going to play. So if I can tell them, if I can, you know, give them some, this set is always this, or this set is 95% yeah. this, or this set, this set, you know I mean? If I can give them that information early on, you know, before we practice, hopefully they can get that information from me on Monday. I can put it in the Google drive on Monday and they can, they can acquire a, you know, we typically don't practice on Mondays in college. I mean, I've been a couple places we have, but mostly we do not, we, you know, practice them on Sunday, practice them on Tuesday, but sometime that Monday, like I should have you know, backfield hit charts out to those guys and, and, and have some notes about what they need to be looking at. That's the way when they're watching tape, you know, and, and generally, you know, we key, you know, we have, we have set who we key based on formation, things like that, that those guys just know who they're looking at. And, but I might change that one week. Might be like, well, it's not important to key that guy in this set anymore because he never comes back or he never goes here or whatever the case may be. They never pull out of the set, right? So those things can start early. And I think that's important for us. Um, formation and backfield sets and just knowing what they're going to do. And then getting early, hitting early on motions as well, I think is important because I, I, it just depends on where you're at and how you handle it. But, you know, we handle motions differently in different calls. So, you know, we may bump in this call, or we may spin the safeties in this call, whatever, and, and just having a, a detailed and outlined plan 
uh, you know, as early as you can have that and get it in their hands is probably the things, you know, formation hit chart, backfield hit chart, and just kind of uh, the main motions that they're going to see. Those are things I, I want them to have early and hopefully, you know, make a quick little cut up of those things and, and they can watch it on their iPads or whatever when they, you know, they don't come in the office on Monday. And, and then the last thing I got for you, Coach, before we go is when, when you, during your off season, what does that typically look like for you in terms of evaluating last season and breaking down what went well, what didn't go well, and then learning new things on who, who do you go to and what do you typically look for? Is it scheme? Is it technique stuff? How does that off season look like for you every year? Yeah. You know, hopefully someday it's scheme-oriented because, you know, someday, like all of us, like to be a coordinator. But I don't think – it's that's not my job now. And, and I know that, obviously, our, our defense coordinator does a great job of giving everybody in the room a voice. And I think he relies heavily on the staff to, to have opinions on on what we what we think we can do from a schematic standpoint and, and what we can get done. But, you know, right now it's, it's not my main focus. So I try to talk to other guys that coach linebackers. I try to talk to other guys that – um, have, have coached in similar systems or guys that I know uh, if I have questions or things that I'm, I'm looking for because I think we spend a lot of time as coaches I think it, it gets fun and it gets kind of we get lost in some of the scheme stuff and how like oh uh, well you know the the what what we're doing you know I get the question a lot what are you guys doing on third down what are you guys doing in the red zone what are you guys doing it's like I try and I, I fall victim to it too but I try to be invested in the how like how are we teaching this guy this technique? Like, what do you say to your guy when, when you guys are running this blitz, what do you tell him to look at? What do you tell him to look at? What do you tell him, you know, what about if they do this? What about if they do this? Are you guys checking it if they motion? Are you guys checking it if they shift? Like, what what different things do you have that you're telling your guy to execute this? And, and I'll be honest, I try, we try to watch a lot of tape in the offseason, just various teams that are doing well and, and things that are similar to, to what we want to be. And if I can reach out to those people, that's that's the best is when, you know, you can flip on tape and, and see somebody, you know, I want, I want the linebackers to look like that. So I'm going to call this guy or I'm going to email this guy and I'm going to say, what, what are you telling him? Like, okay, you guys are great in cover three. Like, what are you telling them to, to get, hit those depths under drops or how, how are you, how often are you guys repping it? Just any question you can have, because I want my guys to look like your guys. Look. Yeah. So I think that's important. And then, I mean, I think in the off season from a, uh, like a uh, self scout perspective, Every, every year is a little different. I mean, I don't know. I mean, that, that's tough because, like, this past year, it was the short year with the short practices. Like, all right, how much you really take out of this? We really weren't able to prepare these guys the way you need to. And some of them are gone, right? So, yeah. bang. And then, you know, previous years, it's like, well, you're evaluating these guys. They're seniors. They're gone. Or, you know, these guys are really young. They're making young mistakes. Like, I, I look at it, and I try to figure out what I'm not coaching well. But I don't know how much stock I always put into kind of that stuff. I, I think that, you know, we have a plan and philosophy, and we just got to keep working the plan. Okay, Coach. Well, coaches, uh, that is Coach uh, Dan Carroll, the linebacker coach at, at UMass. Um, his, his Twitter will be below. Give him a follow. Uh, reach out to him that way if, if you are interested. Um, also, make sure you check out our sponsors and affiliates below. Uh, if there's any point of this you want to go back and listen to, obviously the tags are below. Uh, go and click on those, click on the tag, go back up uh, and find the portion of the video you need. Uh, obviously, like and share the video, helps people find it, helps people uh, listen to Coach here a little bit more in depth. 
Um, and then like always, subscribe to the channel. Um, it just helps everything continue to grow. Uh, thank you again, Coach. Appreciate you coming on. Um, and that was another episode of the Gap Downbacker podcast.